where's BLM and like-minded organizations taking to the streets right now, burning cities to the ground in protest against cops over what happened in Uvalde? I'm asking a serious question. You, you have the clearest case of cops sitting around doing nothing while innocent children, 19 of them and two, two teachers, were murdered in this school mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. You would think that the, the Democrats, the BLM types out there, this is an opportunity for them to rail against cops, right? To preach what? That cops are horrible, they're racist, they're bigots, we have to attack cops. I, I'm making this, I'm pointing this out to make a very important point, which is there's only one narrative to any of this anytime. Now, these cops... These cops, I mean, this guy, Arredondo, I think was his name, Arredondo, I think he was the police chief. He's the one who gave the orders for officers to hang back, hang back. He's nowhere to be found, by the way. He still hasn't given an interview, but he's the one. While 911 calls were going out, children begging for police to intervene in that room where he was barricaded, killing innocent American children, shooting them down like the bloodthirsty, rabid devil that he was? Well, he told them to hold back, not to take action. I don't know. I mean, if you're looking for a reason to be upset with cops, I think this is it. But no, 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 this wasn't a single incident involving a black man. You know, you know so, so when, a, when a black person or a minority is murdered by a white cop, it doesn't matter what the facts are, right? The narrative is racist cops, systemic racism. That's the narrative. When you have a mass shooting, it's either, if it's a white guy, it's white supremacy, Republicans' fault, and then it's the gun grab. We've got to take the guns. Guns are the problem. That's the only narrative that matters to them. Now, bear with me here. You might detect it a little bit in my voice. It's not as expressive as usual. I was in Montana last week when this news broke. As a matter of fact, I was, I was actually, so I got sick while I was on quote-unquote vacation, right? Go figure. I still had a good time, but I got sick. Congested. I was just, you know, the typical stuff, right? Phlegm, blowing, blowing my nose, spitting, you know, all of it, all of it just, just coming up. I know it's a disgusting picture to paint for you. But it was very frustrating to me. Nonetheless, I was still able to to get around. It wasn't some debilitating thing. It was kind of like a cold, which I'm still recovering from. And I'm trying not to sit here and make it painful to you listening to me. Uh, but I know my voice is not uh, where I want it to be. That's just a disclaimer here. Of course, this comes at the time where I'm probably doing the most important episode of my podcasting career thus far. But I, I got this news while I was on a gun range in Montana. And I was as disgusted, as sick to my stomach, as angry, as outraged as, as every single one of you out there. How could this happen? How do we prevent this? How could some, how does, how does this type of evil exist? We had the shooting in Buffalo. We have another shooting now. It seems like it's happening more and more. And it's these young people, these mentally ill, evil people doing this 
we have to make it stop, right? It's a very emotional issue. But I knew, as mad as I was about this incident, I knew I was gonna my my, my anger was going to be compounded by what came next, and that's the predictability of the left's narrative. We've got to come for law-abiding Americans' guns because an evil, sick person used a gun to kill people. That's always where it goes, always where it goes, and that's what happened here. Now. I just want to get into what happened here first because we're going to dig deep here with crime statistics. We're going to put this gun narrative to rest. I want to say once and for all, but you know this is never going to, going to go away. Now look, what the Democrats do here, I understand that everyone wants this to stop. They don't want this to happen anymore. How do we prevent this? By passing laws? Well, we have laws to prevent this, right? We have, uh, you know, it's illegal to commit murder, for example. Why are there murders? It's illegal to drive drunk. People drive drunk. People don't obey the laws. So, you know, these laws are put in place. They're important. They're supposed to be deterrents, right, as well. But there are evil people out there, and that's the root cause of this. Why are there so many evil people hell-bent on carrying out these types of mass murders in our society? That's the root cause. How do we prevent that? Why is there so much mental illness? Why is our country so broken? Why are our young people so sick and mentally ill? But we don't want to address that issue, right? That's too complicated. That gets into too many complicated things. Instead, it's more simple to just come up with this. Well, let's take the guns away. I mean, that's essentially where the Democrats want to go with this every time. They're trying to open the floodgates to peel, to take, you know, little by little to, to, to chip away at the Second Amendment right. Now, we have the Second Amendment right for a very specific reason. It has nothing to do with hunting. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's a doomsday provision. That's why we have a Second Amendment. It is designed for exceptionally rare circumstances when all of our other rights have failed. You know, in the argument, I think this went back to... Uh, a, uh, a judge, Alex Kaczynski. He was on the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. He wrote this powerful dissent. And he wrote that uh, all too many of the other great tragedies of history, Stalin's atrocities, the killing fields of Cambodia, the Holocaust, to name but a few, were perpetrated by armed troops against unarmed populations. If a few hundred Jewish fighters in the Warsaw Ghetto could hold off the Wehrmacht for almost a month with only a handful of weapons, six million Jews armed with rifles could not so easily have been herded into cattle cars. And he talks about this doomsday provision. Why we have a Second Amendment right. And what good does it do to take the guns away from law-abiding citizens? How would that have prevented this tragedy? It would not have. Now, if you look at this, it's an epic failure on every single level. Now, not only did this guy, this killer, not only did he uh, tell a girl, I'll have to put these pieces together. They're in a bunch of different stories here that I was accumulating. But, you know, look, he, he, had, he had been on these social media platforms. So one of them was called Yubo. I don't know what that is. This is the thing. This is also one of the problems with society, all these social media. I promise you. I promise you. And I'll make a point in a second about how you can actually point to the advent of social media and a correlation with mental illness and a rise in these types of occurrences. But anyway, this shooter, 
He told girls on, on this social media platform, Yubo, that he was going to rape them. Uh, he said he, he told another one that he threatened to shoot up her school and rape her and kill her and her mother during one live stream session. He sent another user an image of a receipt showing that he just bought guns. Uh, another user on that platform said a gun was visible on his bed during one live stream. Now, guess what What happened? Not a single one of these people that have come forward and said they saw this were, were concerned enough or had the wherewithal or knowledge to report this person to the, to the police. There is something we could address, right? A root cause. When somebody comes out and shocks and scares and makes these kinds of violent threats, what happens with that information? What is a young person that, can, that comes across that on a U-boat? Where's the education of our children? Warning signs. If you hear this type of behavior, here's how you respond. Here's who you reach out to. Here's the, here's the borough, bureau. Here's who you, you know, I mean, that's the kind of thing. Not, okay, well, I've got to take Drew Allen's gun away because this guy committed murder and guns are the problem. Um, but uh, the, the police... I mean, the, the, the biggest thing was, was what these police officers did, what this police chief did. I mean, th- these are cowards. We do not have enough men in society. That's my takeaway. And look, without knowing everything and a full investigation going on, I, I, I want to be careful about what I say because I'm not trying to condemn every one of these cops. But, but on the surface, one thing I'll say is where was, where was the one cop that that said, no, this is wrong, and was willing to go in there himself. Now, the door that he entered through, by the way, was propped open by a teacher earlier in the day. The security guard that was supposed to be on the campus was MIA when the kids showed up, so he wasn't there doing his job looking out. So every kind of security measure that was supposed to be in place failed. So how do you deal with that situation? Let's look at New York, for example. Speaking of failures, right? Oh, yeah, let's just pass a law, a law to, 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 to stop these things from happening in the future. Now, you'll notice in a moment, too, the real solutions that we need, the Democrats oppose. There's only one solution they want, and that is restricting gun rights of law-abiding citizens. That's the only way. They want to exploit tragedy, exploit, in this case, mass shootings, horrific events like this, to further restrain the law abiding, to control the law abiding, to seize and limit our freedoms, our amendment rights. And lost in the discussion every time when this kind of thing happens, by the way, is the Second Amendment. You don't hear it talked about at all, right? Shall not be be infringed upon, right? Our right to bear arms shall not be infringed upon. Well, it's been infringed upon when they do you know, uh, limiting magazine capacities. I mean, think, think if, I mean, maybe you think it's minor, but the point is we have a second amendment that says it shouldn't be infringed. And everywhere you look in these blue States, they're infringing upon the second amendment, telling you how many bullets you can have, telling you what types of weapons you're not allowed to purchase in terms of semi-automatic weapons. That's every time you pull the trigger, a shot is fired. That's the thing. The AR-15 rifle, for example, they always want to attack. Call it a weapon of war. It's a semi-automatic. It's got a long barrel, but it fires in the same way as a pistol. And of course, pistols are responsible for killing far more Americans in this country than the AR-15. Armalite is the company. AR does not stand for assault rifle. 
So, you know, this is just how they do with the narrative, how they go about things. I mean, spreading fiction, spreading lies, not giving you the whole picture to try and come after a category of weapons so they can slowly, slowly continue to encroach on the Second Amendment until it doesn't exist anymore at all. This is how they work. Now, they're talking about wanting uh, red flag laws, for example, right? Red flag laws are where the police, uh, family members, for example, uh, they can go through, uh, uh, I guess, the civil court system, I believe it is, and basically they can take away guns from somebody who they deem dangerous, right? So if somebody has a possession of a weapon, theoretically, right, like this killer, he's bought the weapon legally, and he's posting pictures on social media telling people he's going to rape them and kill them and so on and so forth. And there's warning signs. Well, theoretically, a family member or a police who comes across that could then go in and put some kind of restraining order essentially on him and, and take away that guy's weapon for a year. Now, that guy could go and get a weapon some other way. My point is none of this stuff works if a criminal is intent upon committing some kind of crime like this. But OK, so they want these red flag laws. Uh, well, in New York, in Buffalo, the red flag laws, the very ones they're demanding now nationwide, they didn't stop the Buffalo shooter. They should have prevented him from obtaining a gun, but they didn't. This is according to Vox, which is a left-wing publication. But uh, in 2019, New York, they enacted an extreme risk prevention law. All right, this is the red flag law that can bar individuals, just like I was telling you, who are believed to pose a danger to themselves or others from possessing firearms. Well, New York State Police decided not to invoke that law against the Buffalo shooter because he didn't have a previous criminal record, but he had made serious threats of violence in the past. So, get this. So now, New York's, New York Governor Kathy Hutchell. Now she's issuing an executive order requiring police to do this going forward. So another law on top of another law on top of another law. We're piling on laws that don't address anything. So red flag laws, they say, right, they exist to keep deadly weapons out of the hands of people who are a threat to themselves and society. Okay. So they can't get them legally, but they can still get them illegally, which happens in other cases. So anyway, in the Buffalo case, the shooter bought a Bushmaster semi-automatic rifle. All right, it was purchased legally. That's what he used in the shooting at the supermarket. And he illegally modified it to increase its capacity. So there you have it. In New York, it's illegal to have a capacity beyond X amount of bullets, right? And so he just illegally modified it. Wow, another law. It was illegal for him to do this, just like it was illegal for him to carry out a killing and murder, but he broke those laws because a criminal is not going to let something like making it illegal to have a certain magazine capacity get in their way. Or, this is the thing, they're going to find a way no matter what. But there you I mean, time after time, you have evidence. Okay, law after law after law. You have it on the books, right? Well, okay, how do we prevent this? Well, Go after the root cause. we got to address the mental illness in this country. That's what we need to do. All right. So these border agents are heroes, I want to point out. Now, the, 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 the local police, right, were told by Arredondo not to go in there. 
Um, he killed 19 children and two teachers at the elementary school. And according to this, I, I mean, there's different accounts coming out. So that's part of the problem with this, this whole reporting. Uh, it's almost like tallying, you know, uh, uh, votes after an election. It just goes on and on and on. You can't get to the bottom of it or figure out what's truth from fiction. But anyway, these border patrol agents showed up and they took matters into their own hands, right? Because it's the border patrol agents who actually went into the school and killed the shooter while the police stood outside obeying the orders of the criminally negligent and my opinion, uh, chief of police there, Arredondo. But they were sitting there waiting 30 minutes. Imagine this, for half an hour, gunfire, 911 calls going out, children begging for their lives. The, you know, there was one story here, by the way, where there was, there was a father, I believe it was, who was on the scene. A father who was on the scene who... A young boy, a classmate, came out. I believe his daughter was shot and killed. And this, the, 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 the boy, the young boy who escaped the school, came out and told the father that the father, while the police were sitting there doing nothing, hearing the same information, uh, wanted to go in the school and stop the shooter himself or do something because he's grieving, he's angry. And the police uh, handcuffed him, apparently. I'll see if I find that story in a minute. But these Border Patrol agents, they went in there, said, let's get this done. They planned a way into the room and they found the shooter hiding in a closet at the time and he returned fire. Uh, they weren't injured severely and they, they shot him and killed him. Now, a few things about this. You know, Uvalde, Texas is a town of 16,000. So this, this, psycho, this psycho, this psychopath, this evil young man who did this, um, you know, now accounts are coming out where residents are saying, hey, we knew something was up with this. I've seen reports. I don't know if they're totally corroborated yet. They've come from from um, from sources that are credible. But this guy apparently tortured animals, dogs and cats. People said this wasn't a good kid. And what, what I mean, how does how does some how can somebody go through the school system in a town of 16,000 people after the fact are saying this guy's not right. And, uh, I mean, I, I guess my point is he's in a tiny town. People know there's something wrong with this kid and he carries out a shooting like this. I mean, what kind of communities, how are we interacting with one another? How can this happen in a town of 16,000? This guy didn't just come into the town and shoot it up. He was a resident of the town and you can look at his family as the problem. He shot his grandmother, by the way, in the face. I believe she survived before he went to carry out this shooting. And his mother, the, the, I think one of the most outrageous things on top of everything else, all this bloodshed of our innocent children, is the mother. And this is the key, in my opinion, to addressing part of the root cause in this country of this proliferation of evil. The mother made herself out to be a victim in this. She said and justified the murders that her son carried out saying that he had his reasons. He had his reasons. Can you imagine someone kills 19 innocent elementary school children and two teachers and the parent says, well, he had his reasons. There is no reason on earth to commit 
murder like this. There is not a single justification. And this mother of this child, there you go. She raised him. I don't know what the whole situation is, but this is his mother. This is his mother. And you can imagine. She didn't go to the cops and talk about concern for her son. And this is the point with the red flag law, red flag laws, right? They're supposed to stop this. So her son bought a gun. And so for the red flag law to work, she has to actually go to the police or a court or however it works and report her son. You think she was going to report her son? She didn't. After her son committed these heinous acts, she's out there defending him to some extent. She's not begging for forgiveness. She's not begging for forgiveness. He had his reasons, she said. I'll see if I can find more on that in a minute. But but the left, the left always does this too with the fake news to push their narrative forward. Now, a couple of things you should know, and it doesn't change how heinous this act is, by the way. That's not my point. But they've been loosey-goosey with the, uh, how they're referring to this recent Uvalde school shooting, saying it's the uh, 27th school shooting this year. Now, that's not true, I guess is going to be my point in a minute. Uh, in the sense that <clears throat> what they're doing is, there's three ways of referring to uh, these, sh- uh, these shooting events, right? There's school shootings, they're, ma- they're mass shootings, which is four or more killed. And there's mass school shootings. Now, Uvalde was a mass school shooting. So it wasn't one of the 26 previous tragedies. Or the 26 previous they're talking about weren't mass school shootings like this is, but they're lumping it in. They're saying, pardon me one second, I got a cough. So I think I was a little bit confusing there with that. So let me, let me, just, let me just rephrase this. So what the media is out there reporting is that this recent Uvalde school shooting was the 27th this year. All right, but the but Uvalde was a mass school shooting. So what they're trying to do is suggest that there have been 27 mass shootings this year, right? So they're lumping in school shootings that would have taken place, you know, whether it's an altercation in the parking lot and mass school shootings and everything. So... The, the intention behind it is to tell you that these are even more abundant than they are. Now, there have really actually been a total of 13 mass school shootings since 1966. Now, that's certainly too many, but that's a far cry from what the media is trying to convince you of, um, that this is as prolific as it is. And so, I mean, that 13 mass school shootings includes, by the way, the, uh, the infamous clock tower incident. That's what happened in 1966 at the University of Austin when that sniper was up in the tower shooting down on students. So mass casualty events are less than 1% of all gun deaths. So we need to stop this and this should be stopped. But for them to, to portray this in such a way is dishonest. And I'll give you another example of dishonesty. This is how they will do anything and sink to any low to exploit a tragedy for political gain. There was uh, somebody on Twitter that claimed uh, that after the shooting in Uvalde, this Twitter user, uh, his name was Jason 
Nauerts, I don't know how to pronounce the last name, N-A-U-E-R-T-Z. Anyway, Jason. So he claimed on Twitter that he was the uncle of one of the victims of the Uvalde shooting. And he put out this series of tweets. And he stated that uh, he and other family members were were finally able to see This is from him, okay? Let me just read the quote. He stated that after he and other family members were finally able to see my living nephew's body to confirm identity, they were followed home by who he thought might be reporters. He wrote that a few minutes after they got home, a representative for Governor Greg Abbott informed us he's willing to pay us to stand with the governor and say we don't need stronger gun laws. Right. So here's the narrative. Look, the left just wants to eat this up. Right. This is right up their alley. This is the thing they pray for. Look at this story in an election year. Governor Abbott is threatening. You'll hear that part in a minute, but he's threatening and trying to pay off people to come from the Uvalde. Look at him exploiting this tragedy to oppose common sense gun legislation. Look how evil this this Greg Abbott is, the governor of Texas. But it's them who are exploiting the tragedy. Um, Jason, this Twitter user claimed that the representative threatened him if he spoke of their conversation. Um, Jason, the Twitter order, Twitter user claims we responded with F you try me and find out. Then we were told people get hurt and disappear all the time. F Greg Abbott and this harassment while we all mourn. And then he thanks people for reaching out, insinuating the ad video proof of what happened, Right. And guess what? None of this is true. It was Andy No, you know, the, the famous <clears throat> uh, conservative here journalist who's been beaten up, uh, put in the hospital by Antifa, who's trying to kill the guy because he reported on them. Well, anyway, No dropped the receipts on this guy. He looked into him. And so you had reporters and blue check leftists on Twitter amplifying this story trying to say it was real, essentially, retweeting it, rushing to comfort him, making fools of themselves, right? And guess what it turns out? Jason, this Twitter guy who claimed, you know, that that Abbott's representatives approached him, who was claiming that, you know, his nephew was in this school shooting in Uvalde. Well, he's not even from Texas. He's from Spokane, Washington. And this Jason guy has previously claimed to be a 9-11 responder, a Purple Heart recipient, and to have had another nephew that was killed. He's an anti-Trump activist who's boasted about shooting at cars with Trump flags, a deranged lunatic on the left. And of course, the journalists have no interest, had no interest in looking into this guy. It was just a narrative that they wanted. And so anyway, No pointed out all these spurious claims this guy made in the past, how he was a 9-11 first responder, a prisoner of war, a Purple Heart recipient. Think about this. Andy No spent probably 25 minutes, maybe, maybe 30 minutes looking into this guy and finding out that he's a phony, a liar. And none of these journalists, and there were a lot of journalists, by the way, uh, Keith Olbermann, he was one of the people who, who bought into this. Oh, Jason, by the way, this guy who's not black, he's white, 
claimed to be a black man, of course. But you had uh, uh, all of these, all of these, you know, journalists that work at the New York Times. All these, you know, supposedly reputed. We know that's not true. Uh, they're phony and fake news. But all these people that work for these places that are su- supposedly journalists out there, they were spreading this garbage. Now, I want to get into some of these gun stats because they want to come for the guns, right? Guns are the problem. Not mental health. Not mental health. The guns. Um, before I do that, before I do that, I want to address another story because the media, of course, is focused on... Because here's a tale of two shootings, right? You've got guns in this country that are used for self-defense that save lives every single day and you never hear a peep about it. I've got some stats on it in a second, but before I get into that stat, a legally armed woman who had a concealed carry, I believe, well, she caught and killed a gunman who was trying to carry out a mass killing at a graduation party in West Virginia. I'll just kind of read from the story. A legally armed West Virginia woman shot and killed a gunman Wednesday. This is the day after the Uvalde shooting. After he began firing an AR-15 style rifle into a crowded party. The shooter, he happens to be a black man, uh, who's a 37-year-old named Dennis Butler, began shooting at dozens of people gathered for a birthday graduation party at a Charleston, West Virginia apartment complex before he was shot. A woman at the party brandished her legally owned pistol and shot and killed Butler, according to reports. Instead of running from the street, from the threat, she engaged with the threat and saved several lives. Sergeant Tony Hazelette, the assistant chief of detectives for the Charleston Police Department, said. Meanwhile, the police... The police in Uvalde did not run towards the threat. They sat there while our children, our precious children, were murdered. And this is the case for gun ownership in America. There are only X amount of police, and there's 300-something million Americans. And in this case, and look, what, what are Republicans, for example, or don't make it political, what is one proposal that could have prevented this from happening? Well, obviously people following the criteria, teachers not leaving the doors propped open, security guards who actually were on premises, the police actually doing their jobs and going towards the threat like this citizen civilian did in stopping a shooting. But imagine if this woman hadn't had a gun herself in uh, West Virginia here. You'd have another mass shooting incident. But she saved all those lives because she was armed. And teachers can do the same thing. And, and the, I am so tired of the Democrats mocking the idea of teachers having guns. This is what Chuck Schumer did. The Republicans tried to bring forward some kind of legislation that would have proposed uh, this type of thing, strengthening our schools, reinforcing them, making sure that there are people in that building that are actually armed to deter this. What, what happens, by the way, too, every time, I've got statistics I'll tell you about in a minute, but every time, Almost every time. Why do criminals uh, target certain areas? Because they know they're gun-free zones. Same thing with the Buffalo shooter. He said in the manifesto, the reason he targeted 
That supermarket in New York is because they had strict gun control and he knew that nobody was going to be armed. Now imagine if somebody in that, in that supermarket had been like this citizen and had a gun on them. They could have eliminated the threat. We have to live in reality. See, I'm not interested in living in this dystopian world. The Democrats, I know their intentions are not good. They want to disarm the population because they're vile, because they're authoritarians. But even if you don't want to believe that, even though it's true, even if you haven't taken the red pill yet, right? Been red-pilled, as they say, because that's what it will be. Once you're red-pilled, you'll, red-pilled, you'll never go back. You can't see things any other way, and you will understand that the reason behind this is to disarm the civilian population. But if you don't want to go there, fine. You don't have to. Pragmatically. We have an issue. Look, there are more guns than people in this country. That's a fact. You're not going to get all the guns. That ship sailed even if you want to go down that route. It's not realistic. It's never, it's never going to happen, okay? You're always going to have guns. And criminals are always going to find a way to have a gun, have, to acquire a gun. Because they don't abide by the law. So they're coming after law-abiding citizens who are going to do this. Look at Mexico. Do they have violence in Mexico? Are there issues with the cartels in Mexico? Do you know that it's pretty much illegal for a citizen in Mexico to have a gun? That's right. It is illegal for citizens in Mexico to own a gun. Do they have a gun violence problem? I think so. You've got cartels that run the country that are killing everyone, including pouring over into our border. So how does that solve it? Do we go down the Mexico route? Okay, guns are illegal. Criminals are no longer going to have guns because we said guns are, well, murder's illegal. They're committing murder. In Chicago, strictest gun laws in the country. Children dying in gang violence every single day. So enough with that. Let's move on. So gun stats. I don't know if you remember this or recall, but back in 1976, Washington, D.C., they actually implemented a law that banned citizens from owning guns. That's right. Only police officers were allowed to carry firearms in D.C. in 1976. Those who had guns were allowed to keep them, but only if they disassembled the guns or trigger lock them. And trigger locks could only be removed if the owner received permission from the D.C. police, which was never going to happen. And as a result of this, by the way, annual homicides rose from 188 in 1976 to 364 in 1988. And then they increased even further to 454 in 1993. Now, This gun ban was struck down eventually by the Supreme Court. That was the uh, District of Columbia versus Heller that you'll hear a lot about. That's the case. And uh, homicides have steadily declined since then to 88 yearly murders in 2012. Now, you know, you can't, there are other factors that are contributing to the decline in homicides. You can't just look at that. But the point is that lifting the gun ban clearly didn't result in a rise in murders. There's not a correlation there. And D.C. still, by the way, has some of the strictest gun laws in the country, but it's one of the most dangerous places in the country to live, a place where I'll be visiting, well, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'll be gone, like I told you. I'm going to that event. 
It's actually a book signing. Oh, well, it's not a book signing. Sorry. It's a book release for a client of mine, uh, a Publius named Naomi Wolf. She's uh, she's amazing if you don't know her. She used to be a liberal. She was an original feminist and she switched teams and she's a conservative now who's come out hard against uh, all the COVID authoritarianism and so on and so forth. She's got a new book coming out called The Bodies of Others and no one's paying me to say that, but uh, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. Now, look, there's all this talk, right? Every time the gun bans in Australia and Britain, that's what we have to do. That's the way forward. Well, they didn't work. They didn't work. The left always says, look at Britain and Australia. It's like they say, look at the healthcare system in Europe. It's so great. Look at the healthcare system in Cuba. It's so wonderful. Baloney. Baloney. It's lies, just like this. So you had had studies that that prove this isn't true as well about Australia and Britain being great because of the the gun control. Well, um, there have been a couple studies, definitive studies on this. One, uh, 2007, there's a British Journal of Criminology and a 2008 uh, studying Australia, a University of Melbourne study. And, And guess what they both concluded? Australia's temporary gun ban had zero effect None. Diddly squat. Zil. No effect on the gun homicide rate. And one of the great champions of gun rights who's brilliant and gets into the statistics is a guy named John Lott. He's over, he's the president of the Crime Research Prevention Center. CRPC, I think they call it. But anyway, he points out that prior to 1996, there was already a clear downward trend in firearm homicides. And this this pattern continued after the buyback. He's talking about Australia. So you can't link the decline to the buyback. It was already declining. And he says ditto with suicides. Uh, both non-firearm and firearm homicides fell by similar amounts. And so the trend in non-firearms homicides shows a much larger decline between the pre- and post-buyback periods. This suggests that crime has been falling for other reasons. Uh, Britain. Let's do Britain. Britain's fascinating, right? By the way, Australia only has 26 million people. We've got 330 million plus. That doesn't include the probably 20 million illegal aliens, illegal immigrants that are here that we don't even count. Anyway, in Britain, they found that after the gun ban was implemented, there was a Initially, a severe increase in the homicide rate, followed by a gradual decline once Britain beefed up their police force. But here's the kicker, right? Get this. There has only been one year where the homicide rate was lower than it was pre-ban. Let me repeat that. There has only been one year where the homicide rate was lower than it was before the gun ban. And you had an 89% spike in gun crime from 98, 99 to 2008, 2009. So over a 10-year period, all of that was after the gun ban, you had an 89% spike in gun crime. How is it possible in Britain you have a spike in gun crime after guns are made illegal? And what I was talking about with these criminals targeting gun-free zones, you know, <clears throat> if we want to live in reality, which I do, we there are dangerous people out there. Social media... Uh, the rhetoric out there, the insanity, just all the things, I mean, illegal immigration, the way our society has gone away from God, from the church, 
from any kind of kind of morality, right? I mean, this goes into the critical race theory in schools. It's riling people up, children, teaching them they're victims, they're racist, whatever else. Confusing children with all the alphabet nonsense, right, from the Disney employees. Oh, yes, pick your own gender, pick your own pronoun. You're five years old. Yes, let me tell you what it's like to be, you know, whatever. Dress up like a, like a, whatever. I can't even, you know, drag queen shows and stuff like that. I mean, of course we have issues in this country and it's, it's directly related to the breakdown of the nuclear family, our, our turning our, our, I mean, honestly, turning our backs to God essentially is what we're doing, whether religious or not. It's about the Judeo-Christian founding and those things that are not debatable. You know, the Ten Commandments, morality. The left has been at war with our culture for so long, and this is the result. This is the result of it all. So anyway, the, the vast majority of mass shootings occur in gun-free zones. Surprise, surprise. If you put a a sticker on your door or a sign outside your house that says, I'm unarmed, gee, I wonder which house the criminal is likely to target. So since 1950, right, nearly 99% of mass public shootings have occurred in gun-free zones. Amazing. If you remember the terror attack in Orlando, Florida, I think it was the Pulse nightclub. Uh, that was a gun-free zone, for example. And the reason is absolutely obvious. Deranged murderers, criminals like this, they want to be in, in a position to murder as many people as they can where they're not going to find resistance. So they target areas that they know aren't going to have defense, aren't going to have anyone with weapons. And there are only 628,000 police officers in the country, right? Something around there. And we've got over 320, 30 million people in America. So it's prudent for citizens to arm themselves. What, are you going to sit around and wait for a police officer? Look what happened again in Uvalde. Police were there, and they did nothing. They did nothing. I want to be able to defend my children, myself. I don't want to... This is the thing. This This is what's rotten in America, right? Independence. Not victimhood. Not collectivism. Individual rights. Right? Not this socialism, this communism, this Marxism. No, 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 no. It's prudent for us to arm ourselves, to be independent, to take care of our own business, to look after our own families, not look for someone else to do it. This is the fundamental breakdown of American society. Waiting for someone else to solve your problems. Blaming someone else for it. And look at this again. There's no blaming the killer. There's no blaming ever the mass murderers. It's the gun. It's this. It's that. It's never the individual. We never blame the individual in that case, right? Unbelievable. But there's another statistic here I want to get into. And that's that, well, two, as the number of guns in this country per person has increased, guess what? Gun violence has declined. And that's according to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, which we do not trust as far as we can throw them. But the CDC, that's according to their numbers, which found that gun ownership increased by 56%, and yet gun violence declined by almost 50% between 1993 and 2003, over 10 years. 
So if you're going to say, you know, as a gun control zealot, that a increase in firearms is going to make more crime, more violence, more danger, well, that proves the opposite because gun violence didn't increase over that period of time. As gun ownership increased by 56%, gun violence declined by almost 50% over a 10-year period, 93 to 2003. So boom, you're a bunch of liars. Statistics, they hate this stuff. Reality, they hate it. That's why they're stuck on the emotion. That's why they seize on these moments because people are going to forget this, not forget what happened to these children, but it's not going to it's not going to fester like it does and drive people to action immediately like they're doing right now. That's why they're rushing right now with this story. They're trying to get things done and also tie it to the election coming up. But here's, here's the key. This is what I want you to remember. The number of defensive gun uses are higher than the number of criminal firearm uses. So let me point this out. There were somewhere between 500,000 and over 3 million defensive gun uses in 2013. This is uh, according to research from the Institute of Medicine. This was published by the CDC again. That same year in 2013, there were 11,208 firearm homicides and 414,562 non-fatal illegal gun uses. So the point is, even if you just go with a low end of defensive gun uses, right? Self-defense, having a gun, using it in self-defense, 500,000. It's still clear that there are more, more times that guns are used to defend oneself than criminal gun uses by Americans. That's a very, very important statistic, don't you think? And, and meanwhile, you know, here's the thing, right? So you've got Chicago, which has the strictest gun laws in the country, or among them. And in 2021, they had 797 homicides. Seven, nearly 800 homicides, murders in Chicago in 2021. And this is happening while the uh, department there, they, have a, they created this gun investigations team in Chicago that's supposed to take illegal guns off the street. So they're claiming in 2021 they took a record 12,088 guns off the street and still they have what 797 homicides so they're taking they i mean everywhere you look taking innocent americans guns away restricting guns is not the solution all right let's close out with this i want to get into um well two things two things quickly One of the arguments made by the left, right? We can't beef up security at schools. We can't give teachers guns. We can't allow them that are comfortable with guns to have them in buildings because kids are going to get killed. Kids are going to get a hold of the the, uh, teacher's weapons. It's going to cause violence and death, right? That's what they're saying. Well, guess what? You know, this is, they act like this doesn't already exist. But there are already 20 states that allow teachers and other school staff Uh, to concealed carry on school grounds. In Ohio, for example, there are over 200 school districts that allow teachers to carry guns. And roughly 10 to 12% actually carry. In Texas, 30% of the school districts already allowed for armed teachers. 
Now, this school in Texas in Uvalde did not allow this, by the way, not to my knowledge. But anyway, the point is, do you know how many instances there are of deaths from firearms when school is in session from teachers being able to carry firearms? Zero. Zero. Do you hear that? Zero. So they're talking about how dangerous it'll be to put more guns in schools. And, you know, I was talking to my dad today, by the way. Dad, I know you're listening out there, and I hope you're feeling better. My dad, finally, finally, the COVID got him. Finally, the COVID came for him, and he's recovering, and he's doing really well. So uh, been praying for my father, prayers for my dad. He's on the on the mend, though. But he was reminding me that when he was going to school in high school, people had gun racks on their trucks. They would show up to school with their guns in the back of their cars. And there were no problems like this. No problems whatsoever. We have a cultural rot in this country and guns aren't the problem. People used to go to school with guns on the back of their trucks. That was fine. Nobody even blinked an eye. It was normal because you know what? We've had guns in this country since our conception. And you know what, by the way? You know what really sparked the Revolutionary War? It was the Redcoats coming for the colonist guns. That's right, Concord. Concord and Lexington, right? Concord. That's when the Redcoats went to seize a stash, the cash, the cachet, however you want to say it, of guns and munitions from the colonists. Allegedly to prevent violence, right? And that sparked the war. Same thing in this country today. It hasn't changed. The reason's the same. The same reason the the Redcoats tried to take the guns from the colonists is the same reason the Democrats want to take our guns today. They say to prevent violence, but it's to control us. That's what it's always about. So anyway, I just thought you'd like to know that. There are schools in this country that already have teachers allowing to have these guns and things like that. And yet, there are zero instances of uh, any deaths recorded. So the danger and fear for me right now is that Republicans are so weak, right? There are certain Republicans out there who are already saying they're willing to go along. They want to try and reach an agreement with the Democrats. But the Democrats never compromise on anything, and they're not going to compromise here, right? They are focused on one objective, and that is taking away gun rights from law-abiding Americans. That's their only route. They're, They're not interested. They're shooting down the idea of arming teachers. Here's the thing. They don't want to solve this. They just want to use these crises to come for you and me to punish the law abiding for the sins of the criminal. Now, what they're trying to do in the midst of this, you know the whole narrative, we've talked about this, about white supremacy, right? They're trying to say that white supremacy's replaced, you know, uh, jihadists as the greatest threat to our nation. It's not true. It's not at all the problem, the greatest threat to our nation is a Democratic Party, as I've said time and time again. But here they go, pushing this narrative and trying to come after and target their political opponents, right? Because the the theory that they're pushing is just like they were doing with January 6th is what? Well, MAGA, right? White supremacists are associated with MAGA, with conservatives, with Republicans. It's our ideology. If you're a conservative, you're a white supremacist possibly so they can come and investigate you, intimidate you, threaten you, and it's very, very loose. Now, 
The Democrats are trying to pass a Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act, right? So we already have domestic terrorism prevention. It's uh, Homeland Security. It's the FBI. It's the CIA. And they attacked, and they go after all isms. They don't specify one specifically because hatred is hatred and terrorism is terrorism, no matter what the influence is behind it. But what they're trying to do here is pass this legislation that's going to change the federal law's current definition of domestic terrorism. Do you know what it's going to do? So right now, the definition definition of domestic terrorism appropriately, correctly, encompasses all ideologically driven violence. But now they want to change it so that it shields jihadist terrorism from the definition. And so you have Islamist organizations which are politically aligned with Democrats who are, you know, expressing support for the proposed Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act. So what they want to do with this, which is so sick and perverted, is they want to, uh, they want to change this to focus on only white supremacy, right? So they want to focus on a particular ism. They want to focus, they want, basically you already have an organization out there dedicated to all terrorism. So now they want to double up and, and focus departments only on going after what? Conservatives, right? Rooting out white supremacy in this country from, that who want to, you know, go and, and, and somehow get into the police forces and get into all these, these different bureaucracies, you know, like the Democrats have done in our schools, bureaucracies, government, the deep state for decades and decades. Yeah. Yeah. So now they're accusing white supremacists of trying to do what Democrats have done. But anyway, they're going to narrow the scope of terrorist activity that existing statutes already reach. That's the point. And it's for the blatant political purpose of labeling white supremacy and white supremacism alone as the nation's urgent domestic security challenge. So they're gonna di- they want to divert investigative resources from other terrorist threats and just focus on white supremacy. And so, you know, they're going to demagogue conservative policies, right? So Second Amendment rights, free speech, opposition to progressive indoctrination, all those things are going to be telltale signs of white supremacy. Catalysts of white supremacism. That's what they're going for. And they want to monitor it with the Justice Department. So these 19 children are dead. Two teachers are dead. And the Democrats are taking advantage, exploiting their deaths, these murders, to pass a domestic terrorism bill, which has nothing to do with domestic terrorism, but is meant to rush through a bill, which is going to allow them to surveil me and you using the justice department. These people are sick. I'm telling you what the, 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 the danger, the democratic party, and rhinos who want to go along with this gun law stuff. I mean, this is a very serious issue. Whether you own a gun or not, it's a Second Amendment right. And this is the most frustrating thing to me of all. Frustrating thing to me. There's no talk of the, the Second Amendment. You know, that little thing called the Second Amendment standing in the way of any of this. Never a discussion about it. Let's limit magazine capacity. Let's ban certain guns. None of, of it, of course, is going to solve anything. It's just continuing to weaken the American citizen, and empower the federal government. That's what it's all about. Remember that. 
All right. Um, I'm really glad I got to be back with you today. I was looking forward to this very, very much. I was dying. I mean, I mean, I, I just couldn't wait to, to, to get back here. It was hard to be away for a week, especially with all these things happening and unfolding. And you've heard it from probably a hundred different people now. And I just, this is an issue I'm passionate about because I understand it very well. And I understand the statistics and I, you know, we all know where the Democrats are going with their arguments every time something like this takes place. And they did it again. They just did it. This is why I say they're so predictable. So, I don't want to say boring because this is certainly not boring uh, What when we're having to confront them to save the country and protect our rights and wrench it, wrench it, wrest it out of their diabolical authoritarian grasp. But anyway, I, like I said, I'm going back out of town. I'll be back, I think, on Wednesday evening. And then we'll get, get to it with the podcast again. I'll update you with all the fun information from, from this event I'm going to. Uh, give you an update on the pulse of the nation. How people are feeling. What their thoughts are. I'm sure we'll talk about all of this stuff as well. But anyway, um, again, thanks for being with me. And God bless you all. And as we say, uh, until next time when my voice and I am 100% again. But thanks for bearing with me today. <laughs>